Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome into 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and today we're going to react to the San Francisco 49ers 35-7 victory over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, over Tom Brady in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, including Debo Samuel's injury. Is there really someone to blame about that? I know Jerry Rice wasn't happy. We'll dive into that. Also, the defense dominates once again. And of course, if you want to talk about this victory... If you want to discuss what happened on Sunday between the Niners and the Buccaneers, I think we have to address the the elephant in the room. No, it's not Trey Lance. No, it's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Brock Party. We are in the Brockalypse. This is the Brock Purdy Show right now for the San Francisco 49ers. We'll dissect his performance, the goods, what we saw, do we now, or do I now, have this re reestablished faith that Brock Purdy can lead this team to the Super Bowl? But first, we have to discuss where the Niners are and what it means to not only the fan base, but also the, the, the franchise. San Francisco currently has the longest winning streak in the NFL at six games. And because they beat the Dolphins and because they beat the Buccaneers, they now have a two-game lead over the Seattle Seahawks. And if they play the Seahawks on Thursday night and happen to win that game in Seattle, they will clinch the NFC West for the second time in four seasons and will clinch a playoff berth for the third time in, again, four seasons, dating back from 2019 all the way to 2022. <laughs> but let's be honest here, the last two wins, I think, have been the most impressive victories of the season for San Francisco, knowing the context, knowing you're going from really your second-string quarterback, who many thought was your first-string quarterback, to then your third-string quarterback, who, again, wasn't supposed to be on the roster when he was drafted, and then he beat out Nate Sudfeld. And there's just so much to dive into, so much rich context, so much... Uh, meaning behind these games, whether it's Miami or Tampa Bay, San Francisco sweeps the Florida teams this year. Sorry, Jaguars, you don't count in this case, but sweep the Florida teams this year in. Look, I think that starts with the defense. We talked about how if San Francisco wanted any chance to go to the playoffs or finish the season near the top or, or be a Final Four team or even the last team standing in the NFL, raising the Lombardi Trophy, they were going to have to be led by the defense. Now, maybe that's changed after seven quarters of Brock Purdy, but this starts 
with the defense. And so after giving up seven points against the Bucks, which those seven points were a tipped touchdown pass, it wasn't like it was an accurate pass. It was a good defensive play that happened to fall into the hands of a Buccaneers player. <laughs> so it wasn't like they gave up seven points. It was like, oh, they, they scored seven points, really? <laughs> but in 11 of their 13 games this year, San Francisco's defense has given up 19 or less points. In six of their 13 games this year, they've given up 11 or less points this year. San Francisco's defense in 2022 is allowing just over, and by just over, I mean point one point over, 15 points a game. Fifth, like, they're barely allowing over two touchdowns a game this season. <laughs> like, we talked about how if this Niners team wanted to finish whether it's Lombardi or in the NFC Championship game, this was going to kind of be a Trent Dilfer 2000s Ravens scenario, right? And whether you want to call Brock Purdy Trent Dilfer, we'll dive into it in a minute, but right now, San Francisco is currently on that trajectory of playing the best defensive football, historically good defensive football this season, where if you ask anybody, at least defensively, what defense do you not want to play? Even the Kansas City Chiefs, who put up 40 against us earlier this year. I can almost guarantee you, maybe outside of the Bengals for some reason, that they would not want to play this defense. And again, that's despite putting up 40 points against them earlier this year. Like, San Francisco's defense has taken it to another level in their six-game win streak. And one of the things I pointed to was that they're not only stopping opposing offenses from scoring, but they're finally getting takeaways. In 2019, this defense rarely got takeaways. The offense or the defense was stopping the opponents or limiting them to a field goal, but it wasn't getting the ball back for that 2019 offense. And even in 2021, it was kind of the same story. Now this year... They're get like in the last six games, their their six game win streak, they have twelve takeaways. In that same stretch, a plus nine turnover differential. The offense with Garoppolo, now Purdy, they aren't giving the ball away. And their defense is getting the ball back, allowing them to now be putting up twenty-eight points per game since since acquiring Christian McCaffrey. Like, this is a a unit defensively and now offensively firing on full cylinders. But this defense, again, if Brock Purdy falters or or starts to kind of fall apart later this year, my confidence is still there that the defense can carry this team, whether it's one playoff win, two playoff wins, whatever or however far you think they can carry them. If you believe this defense can carry this offense to a Super Bowl, I don't think I would say no. I would go, yeah, they're playing that good. Now, can the offense pick up their end of the bargain? Well, I can't tell the future, but recently they have. 28 points a game since acquiring Christian McCaffrey. I mean, when you're giving your defense, I guess, that much leeway of, hey, if you give up 27 points, which they, they don't do 15 points a game, we can still win the game. 
and you're telling the number one defense in football on just playing at a historic level that, hey, you can give up 20 points and we can still win. Like, enough cannot be said as to what that means for this offense who has gone through now two starting quarterbacks on their third string seventh round pick, who again is playing phenomenal, but that means something. Like there is there is an ingrained confidence in this defense. And since since 1970, they have pitched so this year alone, they have pitched eight single half shutouts. That is the most by a franchise in a season. Again, since 1970, it's also the most in football this year. Like When I talk about historic levels of defense, what San Francisco is essentially doing is either in the first half, especially in this game, and in the second half, they are, while not making their opponents tap out, they're, it's almost like they're putting their opponents in a submission hold. Like, I watched plenty of WWE in my life. The ref's holding the guy's hand, you know, and it's falling to the ground. Like, they suffocated the Buccaneers in this game early. Tom Brady looked lost. He looked old. The offensive line looked frantic. Receivers were dropping balls. He was inaccurate all day, passing the Brock. Like, Tom Brady was running for his life. They had 19 pressures. And even when he did throw, they were getting interceptions. Like, Dre Greenlaw picked off Tom Brady in this game. Tayshawn Gibson picked off Tom Brady in this game early. Like, I thought it was going to rain a lot harder. I said 19-13, going to be you know, a close enough game where it's a defensive-led game for both sides. I didn't think the offenses could score much. And while I can honestly say I did not expect this from Brock Purdy and the offense, I did expect this from the Niners' defense. And you have Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw playing out of their minds. The Buccaneers had their backup tackles in this game. And it was a defense riding high after beating the number two offense in football in the Dolphins a few weeks back. Like, Dre, like, well, whether you want to say Fred Warner is better than Dre Greenlaw, he had 15 tackles and one interception in this game against Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. But in his last four games, 38 tackles, one interception, one forced fumble, Two fumble recoveries, one touchdown, and four pass deflections. Dre Greenlaw may not be on Fred Warner's level, but I think he needs to be in the all-pro conversation. Because he not only leads this team in tackles, but he is playing like a general, where, yes, Fred Warner wears the green dot, he calls plays, makes the audibles, makes changes... But Dre Greenlaw is almost like this silent assassin, right? Like, every every villain needs the the man who's going to go in there and, and do all the dirty work. That's Dre Greenlaw. Where Fred Warner's like, I'm calling the plays, you know, like, I'm making the changes, the adjustments. And while Warner's playing great too, Dre Greenlaw has, I could argue, outplayed Fred Warner this year. And Warner himself is likely going to be a pro bowler again. Like, Dre Greenlaw does not get enough credit for what he does defensively. Then there's Jimmy Ward, who, Jimmy Ward in this game, and I don't know, like, Tom Brady, me, like, we talked about how he was going to pass the ball at least 45 times in this game. Well, what I didn't think was going to happen was they targeted Jimmy Ward eight 
13 times. That's the second most targets a defender has received in a game since 2016. 18 times. And in those 18 targets, yes, he allowed 10 receptions, but just for 52 yards and 2.9 yards per target. Again, Jimmy Ward is going to get paid. He's playing out of position, playing the nickel, doing something he does not want to do. And I feel like every single week I'm pounding the table saying, what Jimmy Ward is doing is special. What Jimmy Ward has done this year is special. And what he continues to do every single week, every single week, is put up a better and better performance. And I know he's frustrated, but they need him to play nickel with Mosley out, now Womack out, now Dante Johnson out. Like, they're pretty much down to (laughs) Mooney Ward, Lenore, Jimmy Ward, and Janoris Jenkins. Like, and, and Avery Thomas, no offense, but... Like, they're down to almost like four cornerbacks. And Jimmy Ward playing out of position has kind of been the number two guy this year for them outside of Mooney Ward and Mosey who got hurt earlier. Like, Jimmy Ward's playing phenomenal. But let's dive into what you really want to talk about. What is on everyone's mind. What I talked about last night on 95.7 The Game. What every single sports radio station, sports media company, whether it's Skip and Shannon who were on fire this morning, whether it's Stephen A. Smith, ESPN, Fox, does not matter. Everybody wants to discuss Brock Purdy. And I want to... I'm going to face the music for a little bit here. Because, and before I do, it's just seven quarters, seven and a half quarters, it's two games, Right? What Brock Purdy has done in two games has been (laughs) mind-boggling. It's been surprising. I don't know if he can keep it up. But if he can, I may need to take back what I said just a week ago. Where this team, or, or I don't believe that Brock Purdy's a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, it's two games, but... I do think that what Brock Purdy has done should at least open the door to a conversation that will be had all offseason if he continues to succeed that maybe Brock Purdy, whether it's has been, always was, or just happened to, after 13 games, find his footing in the NFL, maybe he is the Niners franchise quarterback going forward. And just hearing me say that is like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, are you sure you want those words to leave your mouth? And I think if you told me 13 weeks ago, I would have said, no, that makes no sense. Why are you saying those words? But I also never would have said the next words that will leave my mouth. Brock Purdy is the first and only quarterback to beat Tom Brady in his first NFL career start, and he became the seventh rookie ever to start opposite of Tom Brady and win. Keep in mind, Tom Brady has been playing in the NFL longer than Brock Purdy has been alive. Maybe it's the the thought that Brock Purdy steps in 
And maybe it's because there are no expectations on his shoulders. Now, don't get it twisted. Expectations and pressure, two different things. The pressure of you are being tasked with taking a then prior to Sunday's win against the Buccaneers, an 8-4 team that wants and believes they can still win the Super Bowl. The expectation is you're a 7th round pick. If you go out there and you suck, guess what? Everybody will say, that makes sense, season's over with. Even I said, I do not think Brock Purdy can lead this team to a championship. I said it last week. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but it's hard to ignore how Brock Purdy's playing. And again, it's two games. But the Dolphins are a good team. Now, they have kind of struggled recently, especially last night against the Chargers. But it's not like the Buccaneers are a bad defense. Now, they didn't have two starting safeties, one starting corner. Vita Vea got hurt early in this game. Like, there are certain things you can point to and say, okay, maybe that aided Brock Purdy in what he was able to do. But I think it's not like he was playing... I don't know, the Raiders defense, who he will play later this year, barring his health. But he's not playing the worst defense in football. He's not playing the Lions defense. He's playing the Buccaneers defense, who I told you coming into this week was playing better than they were during their Super Bowl run. This defense was riding high, keeping the Buccaneers in games against the Saints and against the Browns and against pick any team (laughs) this defense for the Buccaneers was keeping Tom Brady's offense in games and a 7th round Mr. Irrelevant came in and said I don't care who you played in the past I don't care how you performed in the past I'm going to put up 28 points against you no problem I'm going to score 3 touchdowns against you no problem I'm going to complete 76% of my passes and throw for 185 yards and two touchdown passes. Oh, and I'll scramble for one against you because it doesn't matter what you did the last 13 weeks. In week 14, I'm going to make you my (laughs) B-I-T-C-H. Right? Like, that's how it kind of felt. And so diving into this game, I do want to highlight the touchdown plays first because those are the ones that everyone latches onto, right? And so... That deep ball to Christian McCaffrey was perfectly placed. And Kyle Shanahan talks about when you see it, rip it. When you see it, throw it. Sometimes quarterbacks, especially ones who maybe aren't prone to throwing the ball deep, when they see a guy open, and this is a problem with Jimmy Garoppolo, and I I love him to death, but sometimes he will see a man open downfield and there will be a slight moment of hesitation then that guy's no longer open, or the ball gets batted down. And that's what separates good from bad, and good from great. Where the great quarterbacks see an opening and just trust their arm to get it in there. And I think I can say that I think Jimmy Garoppolo has a better arm than Brock Purdy. The difference is, Brock Purdy sees it, and he rips it. Sees it and throws it. He sees the opportunity. He seizes the the play, he seizes the day where Brock Purdy is unafraid, whether it's the smallest window, as soon as he sees an opening, that ball was behind his head, cocked back, and it's out there. Like, there is no hesitation 
from him. Even the Brandon Ayuk touchdown pass. I don't even think Garoppolo attempts that. Now, maybe Garoppolo will attempt the, the Christian McCaffrey touchdown pass, but I don't think he attempts the Brandon Ayuk touchdown pass. I, like, that doesn't seem like a play Garoppolo would do, but to me, the even more telling play, and as soon as I saw it, whether it was me being so accustomed to Garoppolo, and I do think that, in hindsight, I think most fans would want this play to be a little differently, but it worked out in Brock Purdy's favor, and I do think it kind of, it, it's kind of a sample of, of the difference between Despite having quarterbacks with similar play style like Purdy and Garoppolo, or at least similar offenses, they are very different quarterbacks in decision-making. And it was a play where Brock Purdy rolls out to his right. And he has Tyler Croft in the back of the end zone, and George Kittle running right in front of him for an easy first down. And I was yelling, throw it to Kittle, throw it to Kittle, he's right there for a first down, we need this first down, keep putting up points. And I think anybody would have said, take the first down and keep the drive alive. What did Brock Purdy do? He doesn't do what most fans, and maybe even maybe even the play Jimmy Garoppolo would have chosen to make, which nobody would have faulted him for, but Purdy throws the ball to Tyler Croft covered in the back of the end zone, and what happens? He gets a DPI, first down at the one-yard line, touchdown, they're up by like 21 points. And you're like, oh my god. Like, well... Again, I I would think I would rather him just take the first down, be a little more safer, but it's that stuff right there that does separate Brock Purdy from Jimmy Garoppolo. And I do think that, again, while similar offenses, there is this lack of hesitation from Brock Purdy where I do think that exists in Jimmy Garoppolo. And I have no idea if that's from playing in the confines of Kyle Shanahan's very structured offense and Brock Purdy only having two weeks to kind of get things under his belt. But it's not like at times Shanahan isn't drawing up things for Garoppolo. And that's what enticed people, including myself, to Trey Lance. We can finally hit that deep ball. But right now, Brock Purdy has been kind of playing the best of both worlds. He's mobile enough to escape the pocket, but he's also... He's also willing to throw that deep ball where I do think that despite play styles being different between Lance and Jimmy and Purdy, Brock Purdy, at least in two games, has kind of been the culmination or or, or the combination of the best of both worlds in those quarterbacks. I mean, he looks poised under pressure like Jimmy Garoppolo has in the past, but he also has been like, dude, I'm going to sling this thing. I'm going to take risks downfield like some of the elite quarterbacks do like under pressure in this game seven for eight 109 yards two touchdowns and a perfect passer rating of 158.3 and over the last two weeks when blitzed and we talked about coming into this game where Tampa Tampa Bay excuse me they like to disguise their blitzes, they have very exotic blitzes, you're going to get corners, and you're going to get safeties, and we saw that early. They blitzed the first play of the game with Keanu Neal, and Brock Purdy got laid on his freaking butt. And at that moment, I said, okay, like, this is going to go either one of two ways. 
either that's going to rattle Brock Purdy and he's going to go into his turtle shell and Shanahan's going to say, hand it off five more times, get out of the drive, and we'll punt. Like, mentally, that can affect a quarterback of like, wow, welcome to the NFL, rookie. And that can kind of like shake him a little bit. What did Brock Purdy do? In the next play, touchdown. <laughs> or or close to the next play, t- like, that didn't affect him at all. He was like, okay, I got sacked, whatever. Give me the ball again. I want to take a shot downfield. And since being blitzed in the last two weeks, Brock Purdy 14 for 19. Like, Brock Purdy has been... He's kind of been like found money. And someone called in to 95-7 the game last night. And they, they really kind of summed it up perfectly. Where Brock Purdy is kind of like when you're doing your, your laundry and you find 20 bucks, 5 bucks in your in your jeans and go, wow, I didn't know I had this here. You're like, man, I, you know, I'm feeling pretty lucky today. I found 20 bucks in my pants. I'm going to go out there and, and buy me a dinner or whatever it is. But you have found money, that money you didn't know you had. And I think right now it's not just found money. Brock Purdy's playing with house money because he has George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. And at least for this game, he had Debo Samuel, but he also has Kyle Shanahan and the number one uh, number one defense in football behind him where even if he messes up, they're going to have his back. And the scary thing is, is that they haven't had to have his back that much. There were times in the Dolphins game where things got close, but the offense tightened up, the defense made a big stop, and you moved on. But I can say for most of his time in two games, Brock Purdy, I could argue, has been a primary reason they've won the game, which I don't think could have been said for Trey Lance, and many times throughout his career in San Francisco could not have been said for Jimmy Garoppolo. Again, May not have been the reason you lost games, but likely wasn't the reason you won games. And while I do think many things Garoppolo did were underappreciated, I do think what Brock Purdy's doing right now, like he is he is a factor in the games they win. I don't think maybe outside of the Cardinal game this year, maybe outside of the Saints game on third downs, like there are a handful of games this year I can point to and say, yeah, quarterback play didn't matter much, or he wasn't the one that was leading the offense. It was CMC against the Rams in Los Angeles. It was Devo Samuel week two against Seattle. But for Brock Purdy, it does seem like he is more of a factor when the team wins over Lance and Garoppolo. And I do find two things that he's done this year, or two things he's doing while... I think Garoppolo is okay at this. I do think that many, or I can point to the elite quarterbacks that are really good at this. It's The first thing is pocket manipulation. Brock Purdy, while not being the most mobile guy, albeit more mobile than Jimmy, less than Trey Lance, he always has his eyes downfield, but the way he maneuvers in the pocket and keeps moving his eyes everywhere, going through his progressions, kind of... It makes the defense kind of stop and is like, like they think twice and like, what is he going to do now? Where is he going to move? Like, where is he going to move his body? Where are his eyes going? Where's the ball going? And I do think that having that ability to, to, to maneuver in the pocket and also manipulate the pocket, that only buys you, him, the quarterback more time. 
but it also opens windows for you to pass the football. I mean, I believe it was the Brandon Lanyuk touchdown where he's running to his right, a defender is running right at him, he stops, <laughs> the defender slides by him, he looks over, sees that Yukon says, and slings it, and it's touchdown. And you didn't see that with Lance, and you didn't see with Garoppolo. Like, those are things that not only does the experience help, but he's savvy. And I told you last week, he does have this kind of Brett Favre cockiness, arrogance, this willingness to be a gunslinger, willingness to... Take a hit. How many hits did he take in this game? Like, Brock Purdy's a baller. It was funny because sometimes you wonder where that stuff comes from. Is it a mom? Is it from the dad? Is it just something he kind of had naturally? And I think it was Rich Aurelia, a former Giant shortstop, said on KMBR, he said, like, no, I, his dad was a closer in double-A <laughs> with me when I was with the Giants, and he, his dad was just like that. Now, his dad wasn't a MLB superstar, but... Brock Purdy's dad had that kind of cockiness to him of like, I'm going to throw a fastball, and if you hit it, you hit it, but if but if you don't, guess what? You're getting it again. And the one thing I do like about, about Brock Purdy is that when he makes a mistake, he doesn't coil up. It's, okay, I want to do that again. I know that if I mess up, I'm going to have to make that play, whether it's later in this game or in the next, so let's do it again. Roll it again. Kyle, call the same play again. I want to get this right. I'm so, he's so willing, yet unafraid to make mistakes, because he trusts himself, the offense, and the defense around him. And look, right now, in two games, if I told you who leads the Niners in deep passing touchdowns, what would you say? you'd probably assume it's Jimmy Garoppolo. No, it's Brock Purdy. <laughs> Brock Purdy has two deep passing touchdowns this season. He's first on the team. Second and third are tied. It's Jimmy G and Christian McCaffrey. Like, <laughs> like what? Now again, sometimes you do wonder that maybe Garoppolo, and I think we saw it less and less this year, of this, this structure of, like, if you get out of line, I'm going to smack you in the hand and get back inside of it. But Brock Purdy, again, it's like Shanahan, all the shots that Shanahan was drawing up for Jimmy Garoppolo and he wasn't taking, I do think we're seeing a quarterback like Brock Purdy who Shanahan is drawing up the exact same shots. The difference is Brock Purdy's actually trying to hit them. And he, he, he might miss, but he's still willing to take them. And in the first half against the Buccaneers, which, again, Brock Purdy played one half. Essentially, one half. Like, th that second half was run the ball, milk the clock, let's get out of here with being relatively healthy. Unfortunately, they didn't do that, but relatively healthy. But in the first half alone, Brock Purdy went 5-for-5 five for, five for 117 yards and two, two touchdowns on plays and passes over 10 air yards. I mean, come on. Whether I have no idea how long this lasts. Brock Purdy could fall apart against Seattle, against Washington, against the Raiders, and against the Cardinals. And this could just be a, a, a two-week ride of our life. But who cares? <laughs> like, my question always goes back to how many times can your season be saved 
before it's unsalvageable. And San Francisco, every time a quarterback has gotten hurt, which is awful and I hate it and it sucks, they've gotten better. Now, yes, one was Trey Lance in his, what, third career start, fourth career start, week two of the season. The expectation was this offense might or will look better with Jimmy Garoppolo over Trey Lance. Okay, that's fair. It's a rookie, essentially, to a vet. That makes sense of your offense to get better. But in a two-week sample size for your offense to be playing better from not a vet to a first-round pick you traded three first-round draft picks for, a vet to a seventh-round Mr. Irrelevant last pick in the draft, kind of a cast-off quarterback that likely was not projected to make the roster, and somehow that guy is leading the offense to a more efficient, high-scoring, high-powered outcome? I mean, you cannot make this stuff up. And to prove my point when I say that, because... You know how much I backed Trey Lance. You know how much we talked about how I thought Jimmy Garoppolo was having the best year of his career. And it hurt me. Emotionally, it hurt me because I do have this connection to Jimmy. He was my quarterback as a Niner fan. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to support Purdy or Lance, but Jimmy Garoppolo does have a connection, or I have one with him. Right? Like, like there is something there. But... Even that, even though I'm a fan of Jimmy and a fan of Trey, you cannot argue with the fact that in 20 drives with Brock Purdy after Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt, this does not include the Chiefs game. So after Garoppolo got hurt against Miami, in 20 drives, there's been 7 touchdowns, 3 field goals, 2 turnovers, and... Let me remind you, those two have been Devo's fumble when he got hurt and Purdy's pick to Xavier Howard on the fourth down on Miami's side of the field when it was like fourth and 20, for fourth and 10, whatever it was. Like, those turnovers are kind of irrelevant to the conversation, no pun intended. And seven punts and one kneel down. So in 20 drives, they have scored in half of them and in 20 drives, they put up, what is that? 49 plus 9, 58 points. And one's a kneel down. So it's 19 drives, really. (laughs) 19 drives, 58 points. That's impressive. I get why. While I may not still agree with some fans saying that he's a better quarterback than Garoppolo, and it's, again, only two weeks, there is no arguing with the fact that the way Brock Purdy's playing right now should not only at least give fans hope this team won't miss a beat, but also the way he's playing might make fans even think that this team might be able to be better. And that, like, that blows my mind of, like, what are we talking about? And I had some fans say, Sterling, I listened to the podcast and I cannot agree with you at all. I think Brock Purdy makes us better. And I said... Okay, I respect that. I don't see it, but okay. Like, if you're happy, it's one game, whatever. But, I mean, after two games (laughs) against relatively... The Dolphins' defense isn't great, but the Buccaneers' defense is good. And he was like, who's Tom Brady? Brady who? 
Buccaneers defense playing their best since their run in the Super Bowl? Who? What? Like, he doesn't care. There is, there is no chip on his shoulder. He's playing weightless. He's playing stress-free of like, if I make a mistake, who cares? Am I going to lose my job? I'm the only quarterback these guys got left. And I'm sorry, Josh Johnson, you ain't the guy. And maybe the way the season's gone, who knows, but likely not the guy. But there is one thing I, I, I do really want to talk about here because I found it very ironic. And it's not a big deal. And it could be wrong towards the end whenever Brock Purdy's tenure or his season's over with, we will see what happens, right? But it's something that I was driving to work yesterday, and I was like, well, wouldn't that be interesting? And so I thought back and I said, look, I go, San Francisco traded the second-round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo. They traded three first-round draft picks for Trey Lance. They were in on or trying to involved in the conversations of trading for either Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford. There's always been this conversation regarding San Francisco of they are trying to find their franchise quarterback. They thought it was Garoppolo in 2017. They said, okay, four years later, you aren't the guy. They decided to try to get Stafford. That didn't work out. Then Trey Lance, they've always been searching, as every NFL team does, for the guy. But Trey Lance, it's not even his fault. But Trey Lance has proven nothing yet. It's promising, but there's nothing. But my mind thought of, where is the one area in the draft San Francisco has hit big over and over and over again. Where have they selected their top-tier talent? And I said, well, it's the mid to late rounds. George Kittle, Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, DJ Jones when he was here, Talanoa Hufanga, Diamador Lenore. How many guys can we list that they have drafted late and that have been gems, have been diamonds for them, have been elite premier starters. They've extended past their rookie deals. So wouldn't it be fitting that their search for a franchise quarterback ended not only with a late-round draft pick, but with the final pick of the draft that literally was not supposed to be on the roster come week one, which is the last place you would expect to find your franchise quarterback. Again, a lot can change from right now being Monday, December 12th, to Thursday against Seattle, to next Sunday against Washington, and all the way to the end of the season. But at this moment in time, two weeks into the Brock Purdy era, the Brockalypse, if you want to call it that, Brock Purdy is showing veteran leadership. He's showing the promise on and off the field that San Francisco's search and how hard they've looked for a franchise quarterback may have, again, may have ended with ironically the last pick in the 2021 draft. Actually, 2022 draft. But you get my point. That 
all the hard work of, you know, we're going to go and scout Trey Lance and Justin Fields and Mac Jones and Matthew Stafford and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, wouldn't it just be funny that after all the hard work they put in trying to get the guy, the draft picks they've traded to try to get two guys they believe in, and I do think they still believe in Trey Lance, but the way Brock Purdy's playing, and he has to still do so week in, week out, but wouldn't it just be funny and ironic that the last pick in the draft happens to be the guy? The last pick where you least expect to find your franchise quarterback, that's where San Francisco happens to find their franchise quarterback. A kid from Iowa State, Brock Purdy. I mean, you just can't make it up. You can't make up a lot of things about this franchise, and that right there might be one of the lesser surprising things. It's like, yeah, of course, of course that's how it happens. Because why not? Because it was Jimmy G and porn star Jimmy and Jimmy Garoppolo, then it was Trey Area, then it was, you know, all board, you know, now it's Brock Purdy. <laughs> like, you cannot make up the drama, the interesting things that have happened in San Francisco. And so, again... Just the thought that maybe, just maybe, the last place you look for a franchise quarterback just happens to be where San Francisco found theirs. But before we end, I do want to still talk about Kyle Shanahan, Chris McCaffrey, and get into Debo Samuel's injury because Kyle Shanahan deserves a ton of credit. We've talked about all these quarterbacks that have come in, Brian Horry or Bethard and Nick Mullins and Garoppolo and Lance, and, and now it's Brock Purdy. How many coaches can can consistently get the best out of every single quarterback, whether a high-end pick, a veteran, an undrafted free agent like Kyle Shanahan? He made Nick Mullins think he was better than Jimmy Garoppolo. He made people believe Nick Mullins was worth a fifth-round draft pick. He had trade offers and said no for Nick Mullins in a fifth-round draft pick. And we can talk about, you know, how many injuries this team has gone through. That weighs on Kyle Shanahan, too. He's sitting there like, man, 2020, ain't got a quarterback, ain't got a running back, don't have my receivers, lost Nick Bosa. This year, I lose Trey Lance, and then I lose Jimmy Garoppolo, and then I lose Armstead and Kinlaw and Mosley and all these players. And he's sitting there like, my God, can't I catch a break? But day in, day out. Shanahan with three different quarterbacks this year, and I can argue two to three different quarterbacks for four of the past six seasons in San Francisco has somehow schemed up and drawn up new game plans that fit their strengths with very little drop-off week by week. Now, he's had his clunkers, but there's been more success than negativity when it comes to what Kyle Shanahan can do with the third-string quarterback. Like, I don't understand how he's not in the Coach of the Year conversation. To lose your starting quarterback week two on the first drive, or, or second drive of the, the game, then to go, what is it, 11 weeks and lose your backup slash starting quarterback on this first drive of the game again, and then have your third-string quarterback be playing better than both those guys? This team is 9-4. and four. One win away from clinching the NFC West, and he's on his third-string quarterback who just beat one of the best teams in the AFC and just 
pushed Tom Brady under 500 again yesterday. Kyle Shanahan deserves a ton of credit. And while we're giving Shanahan credit, why not give him even more? Because he saw that Christian McCaffrey was out there. And he said, what if I can trade for any offensive weapon? What's the one player I have needed? A, an elite running back. An elite, all-pro, Pro Bowl-style running back that can fit Jimmy Garoppolo's play style, can aid Trey Lance next year. And the way that Chris McCaffrey is playing, I mean, this may go down as, if not the best trade in recent Niners history, like, this is by far, besides maybe the Garoppolo one, but the what McCaffrey's done with the offense might be the best trade of the Shanahan-Lynch era. And my brain can't process how many trades they've made in their entire history, but this is by far the best trade of the season for anybody. Like, what Christian McCaffrey has done, he has taken San Francisco's offense to the next level. He had 119 rushing yards against the Buccaneers, 34 receiving yards in two touchdowns. Like, if I told you Christian McCaffrey had 11 career games with a rushing touchdown and a receiving touchdown, and ask you, what's one other player you know that has done that, what would you think? Who would you pick that has done that? 11 career games, rushing touchdown, passing touchdown. I can almost guarantee you would not pick Jim Brown. And that's what he's done. Like, Chris McCaffrey, if he can stay healthy, that was always the concern. Can he stay healthy? In this offense, he might go down as the third greatest running back in Niners history behind Craig and Frank Gore. Again, if he can stay healthy, that's always a concern. And he's used so differently than those guys. So stay with me here. But he might become the best offensive weapon in football under Kyle Shanahan. And he already was one in Carolina with Matt Rule. But how many players do you know that can not only carry the rock 15 times, but then line up in the slot and the outside and can catch the deep ball and can break a six-yard pass into a 75-yard touchdown? There ain't nobody else that can do that in the NFL. Like, Chris McCaffrey, despite having similarities to the Alvin Kamaras in the world and the Aaron Jones in the world and plenty of other elite top talent in football, he is one of one. And he has transcended the offense. And before we end here, while the McCaffrey and the Purdy conversation and what, what he's done with three different quarterbacks, Kyle Shanahan still after Sunday's win, after all he's been through this year, gets a ton of blame for Debo Samuel's injury. And I think it's unnecessary. I think it's really... It didn't make sense. It didn't sit well with me. I kind of sat there and said, really? Out of all the people that you want to, to blame? Like, I don't really think Kyle Shanahan's the guy to do so. And And let's be clear here that Debo Samuel did suffer an MCL and ankle sprain against the Buccaneers. 
That's breaking news. Happened 12 minutes ago. But he is expected to return at some point during the regular season. Not playoffs. Regular season. Now, if it's me and you can win against Seattle, I just wouldn't play him at all. Maybe give him some, like, here's 10 reps and that's it. But I wouldn't play him at all. But again, he got hurt. People are mad. People are angry. People are saying, why, Kyle? Why would you do this to Debo Samuel? Can't you put anybody out there to run up the middle? And to that I say, were you complaining last year when he had 1,400 scrimmage yards and was carrying the offense all the way to the playoffs almost single-handedly? I bet you didn't. Because we were all saying, why isn't Debo getting the ball? Why is he not touching the ball? How many times is Kyle Shanahan not going to feed Debo late in the game? How many times this year did we talk about they need to get the ball in the hands of their stars more? And I'm sorry, with the third-string quarterback who, despite many fans already jumping on the bandwagon saying he's better than Tom Brady, you just didn't know what you were going to get. So what do you do? You put the ball in the hands of your star players. Kittle. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, there's a reason those three players were the only ones to touch the football in the first quarter. It was, we don't know what Purdy's going to give us, give the ball to guys we know that have proven to be reliable, effective players for us. That's what Kyle Shanahan was doing. And, Jerry Rice, I love you to death. You are the greatest NFL player of all time. You're the greatest San Francisco 49er of all time. I don't like criticizing Jerry Rice, but please do not go on Instagram and post a PNG ESPN headshot at Debo Samuel saying, stop running our players up the middle, and then tag those players in Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo and Debo Samuel. Now, I get the frustration of another player got hurt. When, he, when that cart came out, and we heard that he tried to stand up, had to go back down, and you saw him in tears, the defense kneeling on the ground. My mind said, can this really be happening again? We just lost our quarterback last week, and we might have just lost our star receiver this week. Carts? I have seen too many freaking carts at Levi's Stadium this year. That was my thought. I'm sure it was your thought, too. But my thought also wasn't to go blame Kyle Shanahan because that play was not a play up the middle. Debo Samuel cut back and just happened to get his ankle twisted. And yeah, it sucks. That's football. This is not a Trey Lance young quarterback running up the middle on quarterback draws unprotected. This is a player that we literally proclaimed and labeled him a wide back a wide receiver, half back. You want to know why? Like, they put incentives in his contract to, <laughs> to play running back. But it's, Kyle Shanahan, why are you doing that? And I get it. It sucks to have a player like that, any player, but a player like Debo Samuel, so talented to get hurt. I hate it. It's awful. It's the worst. But that's football. If that was Jordan Mason that got hurt, would you care as much? Probably not because you would say, well, he's a running back. Yeah. And when Elijah Mitchell got hurt and had they never acquired Christian McCaffrey, you'd know who'd be playing running back? Debo Samuel. 
I will never criticize a coach. And look, there's a difference in, hey, Debo Samuel came in with an ankle injury and you're pounding it up the middle. That's not what happened. He was off the injury report. They were like, he's good to go, coach. And he goes, okay, I'll give him 10 touches. I'll give him eight total touches. And he just happens to hurt his ankle and his MCL. That's football. Yes, would I like to see Jordan Mason play more? Yes. He's averaging f- over five yards a carry. He's been really good. But that doesn't mean you don't give Debo the ball in plays he has shown he's able to be successful with in the past. Yes, Debo Samuel playing wide back this year has not been as successful as it was last year. I can agree. We talked about that all the way back in week, what, five, week four this year? Of like, hey, it's not working as much. They may have caught on. The difference is they have McCaffrey now. <laughs> like, Debo Samuel being in the backfield doesn't bother me. Yes, sometimes is the play telegraphed 100%. But I'm not going to criticize Kyle Shanahan for getting the ball into one of the most dynamic offensive weapons in football. Why would I do that? Why should anyone do that? Why would Jerry Rice do that? (laughs) Jerry, I love you, but come on, man. If Jerry Rice, if Bill Walsh walked right up to Jerry Rice and said, Hey, Jerry, I have this new play I would like to run, but it involves you in the backfield. Now, I get it. It's the NFL in the 80s, in the 90s. It was a little different. I got that. But if Bill Walsh, arguably, likely, the greatest offensive mind ever, the architect of the West Coast offense, if he said, hey, Jerry, I want to put you at halfback. And if Jerry got hurt after having a full year of doing that successfully in setting records and jumping up atop of the rushing yards record and receiving yards record, would anybody complain if he got hurt doing that? No. No. Because it's a player who is one of the best at doing that, and it's a head coach that has shown the ability to scheme that play up for that said player to be successful. And I, it just bothers me. This is not a Trey Lance quarterback draw unprotected hit. That's not what this is. This is Debo Samuel making a decision to cut back up the middle into five Buccaneer defenders. That's not on Kyle Shanahan. Like, is it Kyle Shanahan's fault Jimmy Garoppolo throws a pick? No. Now, sometimes that play scheme isn't good, and then we can discuss. But sometimes you just throw a pick because the quarterback makes a bad decision. Sometimes a running back receiver gets hurt because they happen to run into five defenders in the middle of the field. That's football. That's on Debo. It It happens. And, but thankfully, he's okay and will return, or hopefully will, will return, sometime in the regular season, not the playoffs. Boy, it has been a, a, a fruitful podcast, I will say today. Whether it's Brock Purdy or Debo Samuel or Kyle Shanahan McCaffrey, we have talked about every single aspect of this team. And you might, you might just have me on the Brock Purdy bandwagon. You might, I I might be about to hop aboard on 
the Brock and Roll All Night and Purdy every day train. And I understand if you do. I understand if you do. But before we go, I do want I do want to give a big shout out to one of our listeners, Adrian McCoy. He went to the Buccaneers game on Sunday. It was his birthday. Huge shout out. Happy birthday to you, Adrian. Hope it was a great day for you. Hope you enjoyed that victory watching your boy Brock Purdy go out there and sling that football for two touchdowns and score three. I hope you enjoyed your time at Levi Stadium. And if anybody else wants to go out to Levi Stadium this year or you want to see this team play on the road, whether it's in Seattle this Thursday or it's in Vegas on New Year's Day, Use promo code 49ERSACCESS, 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com. Save yourself $20 off your first purchase. Enjoy your time at any NFL game this year and save yourself some money. In the meantime, also, use our Fanatics link down in the description. Save yourself some money while shopping for your favorite NFL team's gear. Primarily and hopefully, it's the San Francisco 49ers, but... Save some money, support the show, enjoy the holiday time while keeping some money in your pockets. It's expensive this year. <laughs> like, everything is expensive this year. Gas is finally under $379 near my house. Other places, still $5. So anytime you can save some money is a good thing. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe. Follow us on social media at 49ers.access is the Instagram. 49ers underscore access is the Twitter. You are not going to want to miss a thing. And until next time, my name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And stay faithful. Rocking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Mistletoe home where you can see every couple tries to stop.